co, co, come mai, co, come mai, la Champions League tu non la vici mai. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Brothers of the World podcast. We are back again. This is the second episode of our Suspended Sessions mini-series until, you know, we get a decision on the season, whether that is the end of the season, whether that is some continuation. But for now, you know, we're all bored. We all miss football. So we're going to keep going. Today we're going to be talking about the 2017-18 season, um, really accumulating in the Lazio Inter game that everyone, every Inter fan I'm sure remembers fondly, the 2-3 win at the Stadio Olimpico. Um, with me today, we have Risto as always. As always, I'm and, here by Mike's side. Yeah, as always. <laughs> yeah. I like Chino. And today, well, we'll get Chino back. Uh, I think he's starting to come back into civilization. So with us today in Chino spot. We have a very special guest with us today. We have Alex Dono, who I'm sure everyone on Inter Twitter knows. Um, big, big guy in the Inter Twitter scene, especially in North America. It's a guy that I really admire on the platform, a guy that I really like hearing from, and I'm glad to have him on today. How are you, Alex? I appreciate the intro, Mikey, and I appreciate talking to you, Haristo. Hope everyone's doing well. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to start out, and I want to ask you, Alex, first, um, going into the end of that season, we're really going to start like – well, we'll start with the first half of the season. Um, we kind of started out pretty strongly, um, kind of fell off a little bit, and then running into the second half of the season, we were still strong for fourth place coming out of, you know, our usual blackout. Um and the match that I guess everybody can really turn to in that season as to when they start remembering every single match is um, Inter-Juve, the tough loss there, went down to 10 men. Um, that was where everyone started to kind of, at least me and I know some others, started to just kind of abandon hope for Champions League. Um, I want to know what you were thinking with that match. I know it was a painful one, but kick us off. You know, that match, it was like getting your heart ripped out of your chest, that Juve match. Um, You know, you had everything to be angry about when it came to the officiating from Daniele Orsato, you know, him, you know, booting Matias Vecino out of that game earlier with a straight red card, seeing the, you know, the ejection that should have gone to Pjanic late in that match, but wasn't. Juve should have been down to 10 men and Inter in that game, you know, in 10 men for most of that match played incredibly well, well enough to, to actually be attacking and be in possession for big stretches to take the two to one lead. And then just everything went to hell late in that game. And, uh, and it was Higuain who scored the game winning goal for Juventus. And just, I guys, I just remember being so angry. Like I, I, I think for like six months I was tweeting angry thoughts about the referee Daniele Rosato like every single day. I was, I was like tweeting angry threats. I probably should have been kicked off Twitter for some of the things that I was saying. Like I, I was just so angry. And you're right because that, that was such a costly matchup, uh, it seemed, for Inter's Champions League hopes. And then you had Napoli fans were also super pissed because they wanted Juve to lose that game to help with their Scudetto chances. And so it's like everyone was pissed at, at Daniele Orsato. And I thought that that game, uh, which I'll never forget, it was sort of like a, a microcosm of Inter's entire season, right? Because you had a roller coaster, you had the really bad start, and then you had the lead, and then you had the, the really crap ending to that game. It's like the whole... The whole thing sort of summarized the entire year. And, yeah, like you, Mikey, I came out of that game after that loss thinking that's probably all she wrote. Like, that's probably it for the Champions League hopes. I think that's where it ended. At least I thought so. Yeah, I uh, have to agree. And I, I forgot how crucial that match was to the whole Juve-Napoli title race in that season because that was neck and neck. And even a draw in that, and I think – that would have, looking back now, probably broken Juve's title streak, which would have been remarkable, would have been a story for the history books with Maurizio Saudi, with everything going on there. Um, I know I've 
we've talked about this a lot here, Sto, um, off camera, off mic. But um, how did you take that match? I mean, as Alex said, awful. Uh, it, it has been, as I told you, the worst match that I've seen from Inter, at least the, feelings, the feeling that I got from the match. Since the loss against uh, Schalke, 5-2 in the Champions League in 2011, I think. I haven't felt uh, anger as I felt back then. Uh, I was so fucking pissed that I couldn't calm down for like an hour and a half after the match ended. So the match itself was pretty decent. But at the end of, uh, at, at the, at the end of the match, basically, when we all know uh, what... Wait... Alex got disconnected. Yeah, I was just going to let you finish. Nice, no, Apollo. Hey, you guys still there? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, sorry. I don't know why it, it kicked me out. It's, it's not a problem. It happens. Okay. It used to happen every single really? time. I would start the podcast every single time I'd start. We could be talking for 30 minutes before and I would go to start and it would just. <laughs> oh man. So as I was saying about the match against Juventus, as Alex said, basically I haven't felt as much anger as I felt back then just because of the way that we lost. Uh, I don't care if we lose or win at the end of the day because I love watching Inter play basically. But when you lose in such manner that doesn't allow you to showcase the abilities and when you are um, given a minus goal from the beginning, effectively with the Vecinos red card and Pjanic not receiving a red card on the foul <clears throat> against uh, Rafinha. And I haven't felt such um, disconnect and such anger since the match against Schalke in 2011 when we lost to... Edu, the Brazilian Edu that scored a couple of goals for Schalke. And it has been the worst match that I've seen to date, just because of the ending. And, like, who cannot... Like, we sometimes praise uh, coaches and managers when they make good substitution because they showcase their instinct on where to... on when to, you know, make a difference with which player. But in this case, it was the opposite. It was Spalletti who made the decision to put uh, Santoni in the game instead of um, Icardi. And we considered two goals with an own goal from Skriniar and then the worst possible event that could happen with Iguin's goal. And I was looking at the schedule and um, Juventus basically lost to Napoli 1-0-1. And they played against Inter the next round. So if we won that match, it could have been completely different, especially knowing that I think Napoli played against Fiorentina at 3 o'clock and we played against Juventus throughout the night. So I think that if Napoli could have won that match and we could have won against Juventus, it could have a new course of history, basically. Maybe Sarri could have stayed. Who knows? Yeah, that's... Oh, man. Thinking about just how close of course we were to winning that match and then the precariousness of almost missing out on champions league but also the the bigger underlying story for either neutrals or just general Serie A fans or anyone else is that title race from that season and how we we kind of contributed to another Juve Scudetto which hurts and i think the worst thing to me about that match was I was so proud of those guys with the way that they had come <laughs> back after like going down a man. You they they played better with ten men than they did in the first fifteen minutes with eleven. I remember. <laughs> I was so proud of the way that was going, and then just for them to throw it all away. I was I was hurt. Like I wanted to have that story. I wanted to be able to tell anybody, be like, "Hey, remember when we beat Juve ten men to 11, But had that story taken from us. And I remember, like, no, nothing against them, but IFTV, like, after the match was like, oh, my God, this is the best league. Like, love this league. That's so great. And I, like, I blocked them for, like, a month. After that. <laughs> like, I don't think I followed them yet at that point. Otherwise, I would have done the same thing, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it, I couldn't take it. Like, I was just like – I and I was, I was alone watching the game just – 
screaming and then like Santon comes on and I'm like, oh god, and then like I'm just <laughs> I just go out and I sit for about an hour and I'm just like what did I what did I witness? But yeah, that was that was a big moment of like that that was one of the worst moments of like disconnect after that, just where I was like, I don't care what happens in the next few matches, like we just like got our hearts ripped out by U of A and like all the season objectives are like basically out of the window. But luckily they weren't. Um it was the next week, right, that we played Udinese away and beat them soundly and kind of got things back on track. And if then, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. So you schedule up. Yeah, and we won four nil uh in Udine. I mean, it was pretty convincing looking at the back of the scores. Ranocchia scored a header and Rafinha just before halftime. Then Icardi as soon as uh, in the 45th minute and Borja Valero in the 71st minute. So you have four goal scorers, just two years difference, not even two years. And all of them left the club effectively, except Ranocchia and Valero who don't even play. So it shows you, even though we were thin um, on the bench, we still had players that could make the difference. Well, something yeah, else I don't... that I, I remember about the the second half of that season, and and you know these these are these are names that will never be forgotten by Interisti with the way they contributed. But you know, you, you had mentioned earlier Risto uh, Rafinha, who played a big part in elevating Inter to get them to Champions League, and and Cancelo was a was a big part of the second half of that year. So you know, even though in the following season, you know, they, they had a good uh, summer transfer window and, and upgraded the squad in certain areas. Losing both of those guys, especially Cancelo, was huge because in 2017, 2018, the two of those guys in the second half of the season were absolutely instrumental in, in helping save Inter you know, after they had that, you know, January, February blackout. You know, the two of those guys really helped Inter to regain their form. Yeah, I totally agree, and it's crazy thinking back at their transfers. Like, these were kind of, like, second and third option loan transfers coming in. Like, these guys weren't what we were, like, wanting. Like, I remember it was it was Pastore that everyone wanted that summer. I mean, not that summer, but that December, like, or January, December, that winter transfer window. Like, everyone wanted Javier Pastore from PSG, and that didn't happen. And then I remember back – that summer when Cancelo came in, like we were talking about guys like Emery Moore coming in before that. And that fell through. And that's how we ended up with these two guys who really turned our season around. Or I remember like Rafinha, I have a lot of respect for like when that guy came in, I, I guess it was more of that Barcelona mentality that he had of winning, but that guy had heart and that guy wanted to win every match. Like when we lost or drew, I believe it was, whatever happened in that match with Sassuolo in the second half of that season. That was another time it looked like our Champions League hopes were gone. But I remember Rafinha scored after Politano had gone under the wall and scored a free kick (sighs) for Sassuolo that he never, ever did again at Inter. But I remember Rafinha scored in that match and – went grabbed the ball was trying to urge everyone on was screaming at everyone who had their heads down that wasn't hustling and just trying to rally the team and I felt like he was a big leader in that second half of the season I don't know what you guys thought or if there were any other players that stood out to you in that second half as kind of dragging us to Champions League well to be quite honest uh, you 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 were saying about Udinese match and Alex too uh, that match was pretty convincing. I remember I was like pretty, as you said, not very interested, to be quite honest, in that match. As soon as we lost to Juventus, I thought it's pointless to watch any games this season because there were only three games left. Uh, Lazio had a pretty easy schedule knowing that they played to uh, Crotone, who at the time had real, really no chance of um, staying up. And what they effectively did was very important in our um, quest for the Champions League is that they drew to Atalanta, the same uh, round that we won against uh, Udinese. And after that, they drew to Crotone, 2-2, who later on um, went down in Serie B. And they they were losing, actually, until the 84th minute, until De Vrij assisted Savic to score for 2-2. 
and they uh, crunched down the numbers. And if we actually had to win the last match to go through on equal points. But the, as you said, the match against the solo was pretty interesting just because um, it was another blow. Like you had uh, low, very low with Juventus, very high with Udinese, and now you had something to, to cheer about. And when we lost to Sassuolo in the 37th round, it was like your whole world crumbled, especially knowing that Politano scored a free kick, that we don't score a free kick ever. We haven't scored a free kick in like seven years. And then, and then Berardi, of course, scored. Who else? Berardi and Politano. Like, it's, like, it's like a written in the stars. And um, that match was pretty interesting just because uh, Rafinha scored. And I think every Interista has a special spot for Rafinha, even though he was a second choice to uh, Raja throughout the season. I think they tried to sign Raja in the summer, but he came off of a very good season, if I'm not mistaken, the 16-17 with Dzeko and uh, Salah. Or am I wrong? It doesn't matter. No, yeah, he, he did, for sure. Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. Like, he didn't fall off till he left. And, I mean, he didn't completely fall off at Inter, but uh, as we all know, he wasn't what we saw from, like, 2015 to 2017 at Roma. He just doesn't well, want to... I'll tell you, let, let, let me add one thing, because Mikey was talking about, you know, key players in the second half of that 17-18 season. Uh, that was the time from, really from, like, January, February on was... Uh, was when Marcelo Brozovic became a legend, right, to Interista. Because yeah. Pri- oh, yeah. prior to that, you know, in, in that January transfer window, January 2018, um, you know, the club was was trying to get rid of him. Like, they were about to send him on loan to Sevilla. And then Spalletti, basically, the way I picture it was, Spalletti was, like, running uh, after him in the airport, not letting <laughs> him get on the plane because they, they didn't have a replacement <laughs> to come in. And I, I think it was a match or two uh, after that in January where he was booed off the pitch and he was sarcastically mm-hmm. clapping at the fans. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Right. And, and then somehow from that point, uh, you know, he really settled in at, at uh, Regista. And, and, you know, he and, uh, and Gagliardini actually played really well next to him for a couple of months. And Brozovic, I mean, he, we haven't looked back. I mean, it's been the same for the last two years now where Brozovic really became the most important player on Inter, and that's exactly when it happened. It was from, like, February on in 2018. You, I almost... Yeah, and I... Sorry, go on. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, I think even Croatia has a little bit to thank Spalletti (laughs) for because, I mean, Spalletti finds this position for Brozovic and gets him on this, like, earth-scorching run of form, and then he just takes that into that Croatian World Cup squad and helps push them to the World Cup final. Like, it was a big deal what Spalletti did, and I think he still deserves a lot of credit for what he did with Brozovic. I had forgotten about that whole saga and that match where he got booed off, and then, like, I think Jan Caramo was even subbed <laughs> on for him, who ended up scoring the winner in that match. But, I... yeah, these are names. These are some crazy times back then. Looking, I, I forgot about Brozic completely. Um, I always tend to tend to remember such things, but I forgot how important was Politi in in Brozovic's Renaissance, because I he was like he was booed off as Alex said, and he, because of his gestures, he was um, clapping the fans. They were booing him. He was showing some signs with hands, doing gestures and whatnot. And he is nowadays our, one of our most important players. But I wanted to ask Alex, did you ever lose hope that we will reach the Champions League? Yeah, absolutely. After, uh, yeah, I, think it, I think it really happened after the Sassuolo game. Because after the Juve game, my initial thought was, I was just so angry about losing to Juventus. I was so angry about losing like that about, you know, having the 2-1 the to one lead and then just seeing it all fall apart and the terrible refereeing. I, I think after that match, I wasn't even really thinking so much about Champions League. And as you guys mentioned, you know, you followed that up with the really comfortable win against Udinese. So I'm thinking, okay, we still have a chance to make this happen, still have a chance to get into Champions League. And then, you know, the curse of Sassuolo, because Inter can rarely, I think they did beat them this past fall, but rarely does Inter ever get a victory against Sassuolo and they lost that match two to one. 
And I just thought, okay, this is over. It's fifth place. It's it's back to Europa <laughs> League. You lose all that Champions League revenue. I, I think that's when my heart really sunk. And I didn't even so it, it was uh, I, I, so. And, and Mikey had mentioned with with Crotone and Zenga helping out Inter by I guess drawing with Lazio to make it possible for Inter to control their own destiny in the final match. That didn't even sink in with me right away. I don't even think I realized what had happened with that Crotone game until maybe the day afterwards like I was in disbelief when I saw oh my god Inter still has a chance to get into Champions League as long as and they can't draw they can't lose but as long as they beat Lazio they have a chance to get back in I don't even think I was aware of that until like the Monday or Tuesday before that match <laughs> I think so too I honestly I, I remember watching the game and uh, we were joking with a couple of friends that I watched the game with uh, that Zenga will, will actually come in good for Inter because if I remember correctly, he was um, he was cheered by the Inter fans when we played against Crotone at the beginning of uh, of the second half of the season in January. I think that we had a run of uh, four matches, yeah, four matches that we drew one one with. So uh, Roma, Spal, Crotone, Bo- and Fiorentina, who scored in ninety fourth minute. Oh, sorry, five Lazio, Fiorentina, Roma, Spal, Crotone. So five matches in a row we drew. Imagine how and that yeah. was in January. Right? So it's, it's, it's ah, impossible to get discouraged, uh, not to get discouraged because prior to that we lost to Sassuolo. So actually, oh, we lost twice to Sassuolo that season. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, <laughs> <either we> win, <laughs> that's why I call it a curse. It's either we win seven to one or we lose. It's no, there's no in between. There's no draws, and um, I think that. What happened with Lazio and Cortone was pretty significant just because, as you said, you don't actually comprehend the situation as soon as the match ends. So you need to calm down and need to... Cortone were relegated, basically, because they had only one round. And uh, who, who stayed up? I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. I think that they had to win with like an, a huge amount of goals, which was nearly impossible. Was it not Cagliari that like stayed up because their manager... like? then said he would, like, ride a bike up the entire peninsula or something? Or was that the season before? I think it was the season prior because it was Davide Nicola who was who is Verona's yeah. coach. I think they stayed up and then they went down. It was the right. season prior, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, I've got to get something off my chest, though. We talk about this Udinese game, and that was one of these games here on the East Coast in the U.S. that started at, like... 6 a.m. and I had completely forgotten about it like I didn't even get out of bed like I slept through it and woke up and saw we won 5-0 and I was just like oh cool okay oops but then yeah I came back and watched the Sassuolo game the next week and that was crushing yeah 2-1 loss and I think that was on the Saturday I believe I could have it wrong who knows at this point but i don't remember if the Crotone game was before us or after us. Because For whom? I feel like... The Crotone game with whom? Lazio. I want to say, I may be wrong, but I want to say it was after us because... I yeah, think I think the, it was that Sunday morning yeah, and we I played just, on the Saturday. I, I think the reason why, I didn't even know what happened in the Crotone-Lazio game until... Monday or Tuesday was I, I was so upset about Inter's loss to Sassuolo and thinking it was over that I, I, I didn't watch any of the games on Sunday uh, and I, I didn't even really look at the standings or anything until because I was just so depressed I didn't want to look at anything and then it was on Monday or Tuesday I saw oh they Inter still has a shot to get in <laughs> it was yeah, I feel like I was more hurt from the Juve game though like I feel like after that like it had just kind of cauterized those wounds. To the point that when we lost the Sassuolo, I was just like, oh, well, we were lucky to even still have the chance at this point. And then that Crotone game comes along and all that hope comes back again. So you're at the top of the roller coaster for like the third time in three weeks. You're right. Into the game against Sassuolo, we played on Saturday at 8.45. And uh, Lazio played with Crotone the day after at 12.30. Yeah, I remember that was a day game in because I remember the sun shining on that beautiful, <laughs> beautiful bald head of Walter Zanga as he <laughs> beat, as he 
held Lazio back. And I remember before that game, like, Iglitare and everyone else at, like, the front front room of Lazio, they were like, yeah, we were ready to, like, pop bottles after Inter's loss. And then, like, they go out and have that showing, and that's just a big piece of When was Iglitare caught saying uh, that we stole, basically, the Vrai, and the Vrai actually allowed Inter to win against uh, Lazio. Was that after the game with Lazio or prior to the game? It had to be after the game with Lazio. But then, like, there were all these, like, controversies before that match where people were like, oh, is De Vrij going to play? Because, like, if Lazio win, he's denying himself Champions League for next year because everybody knew he was coming to enter. But... Um, I think it was Inzaghi came out and was like, yeah, I'm going to play my best players. And then after that, I think um, all Lotito and Igletare were all out like, oh, oh he did that. Oh, Would you? Well, and, 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 and from what I remember about uh, that, that foul, which led to the penalty that Icardi tied the game at two in that Lazio game was uh, DeVry De was like hung up to dry because he had, I can't remember who his center back partner was in that game, but somebody had missed an assignment and basically he either had to come in and make a clumsy tackle or he lets Icardi take an open shot on goal and Strakosha also could have maybe come out of his goal a little bit and tried to be more aggressive. So yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a penalty. It looked really bad for it to be Stefan Duray to do that because, you know, this is the guy who had already signed a contract with Inter, and it looked terrible, and he got bashed for it for – probably still getting bashed for it by Lazio fans <laughs> to this day. But from, from what I remember about that sequence, yeah, it was, it was a clumsy tackle, and he, you know, he, he gave Inter the penalty. But if he hadn't done that, if he hadn't tried to, to rush in and go to ground and make something happen, Icardi would have had an open shot on net. And that season, Icardi couldn't have couldn't miss. So, I mean, it probably would have been a goal either way. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point because either photo you have, whether you have this photo of like Defry fouling Icardi, or you have a picture of him like standing there watching him score, like people can still take that and be like, "Oh, this is his fault. Like he did this on purpose." When really he didn't. Like, I mean, we all know Stefan Devry now very well playing for Inter that like. He's not a guy that's going to do anything like that. Like, he's a pro's pro, and he's always been that way, I'm pretty sure. Like, even at Lazio, like, nobody had any qualms with him before that. Like, he's always been a straight-up guy, and, like, I don't blame him for what he did. I mean, maybe if I was a Lazio fan, I would still. But, I mean, even after that, like, I remember the next season, like, Spalletti kept DeVry out of, like, matches against Lazio. And I don't think he played against Lazio mm-hmm. until Conte came in. You're right. Well, and another thing to, to add to the DeVry controversy, um, it was only maybe a week or so before Inter-Lazio match that May that the news was made public that DeVry had signed his contract with Inter. Now, it, it had been essentially common knowledge at that point. Anyone who follows transfer rumors and DiMarzio and Fabrizio Romano and all those people and David Amoyal. Like everyone knew that DeVry was, was on his way to enter, but it actually got published and confirmed in the media maybe a week before that match. So that just made, that just really fueled the controversy and it fueled the narrative. Mm-hmm. Right. But then uh, after that match, it came out, well, he had officially signed the contract maybe back in January, February, yet the news didn't come out until May. So it, it made it appear as though, oh, DeVry, you know, signed with Inter on Monday and then he helped Inter win on, on Sunday. And so that, that just only added to the drama. But it was a little bit unfair, I thought, the way that that was. Looking back on it retrospectively, yeah. uh, that doesn't, the foul that uh, DeVry committed is not something that you would expect from DeVry in 2020 as an Inter fan after watching him like two, two and a half seasons. But this, I wanted to say also, walk, uh, watching the, the match and now the highlights, um, as you said, Icardi is not someone that would uh, miss a chance, especially one-on-one. But after Marushi scores the first goal, luckily with a bounce, it was Icardi who missed the chance uh, one-on-one. And I don't know if I remember correctly, wasn't Icardi like in... I mean, he's always in, in, uh, in, sort, in some sort of a drama. But wasn't he asking for a, another contract like 10 days before, just before the Sassolo game? So there, there, there was a 
some some sort of controversy um, with him. And after he missed a chance, everyone from the curva, when when he missed a penalty against someone, didn't the curva like cheer that? Or am I? Are you talking about Crotone like years ago after his autobiography came out? That was like 20. I think that there was another instance after that. It doesn't matter. I think there might have been. I, 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 I think Wanda might have been up to something at that point. I, I have a hard time keeping track of all the times, but that, that might have been when he started asking for, for the latest contract that he never got. Yeah, probably because, I mean, like, what? Like, the Monday after every weekend he scored, it seemed like he was adding another 10,000 euros to the contract he wanted. And also, do you remember he had, like, commemorative boots? Like, every time he scored a goal, he would put on, like, a new pair of cleats that said, oh, 100 <laughs> goals in the insert And now, 100 and 100. Yeah, I remember the 100 had, boots. Yeah, he had, like, commemorative cleats that he would put on before every game. Didn't he put on, like, some gold-studded ones in the match that he scored four yes. against uh, oh, Doriel? Yes, he like... did. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> he did. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it, at half at halftime he came out he came out with new boots after halftime. No way. Shoes. Yeah, and had one hundred. Yeah, he had the one hundred on him. Oh I my god! Oh, such a fucking bitch, bro. I mean, at least he backed it up that game. Like he scored four goals. Like I mean, I guess he's got a little bit of talk in there. But come on, don't be so to be demanding to be if you're demanding a contract <laughs> before the biggest match. You've played in an inter shirt, like yeah, that's a little cheap, and like that's very short sighted. But now that we've started talking about the Lazio match, I want to know what you guys felt going into that because I mean, that was the biggest match since what 2011, like Coppa Italia final. Like this was essentially a final, and I know going into it, I was all kinds of nervous. <laughs> And I know you guys probably have to be also. You know, I was definitely nervous, but there was one thing that I took comfort in going into that match. And it was the fact that Inter had to win to get into Champions League because I really had strongly felt that, and I know Lazio fans, I'm sure, can back this up after what happened in that game, that if they could have gotten into Champions League with just a draw, they would have played for a draw and ended up losing the match. Like, I really felt, oh, you know, I'm kind of relieved that, you know, the only way to get into Champions League is to win the match. That's the only way you get in mathematically, which means you're going to have to be pressing. You're going to have to be taking as many opportunities on net as possible. You can't play conservative because you either win or you stay home. And so that made me feel, I don't know, maybe oddly at peace heading into the game. Then once the game started, it was, you know, a pure chaos of emotions, right? Because, uh, you know, Lazio scored the opening goal. As Fristo as mentioned, it was a fortunate bounce. It was a deflection off Perisic's face that put us down 1-0 in the game. Uh, you know, you had uh, a, a really kind of a, a wacky goal, uh, but a, a timely goal from D'Ambrosio to tie it up. Felipe Anderson gives Lazio the 2-1 lead. And so at that point, I'm pacing across my living room. I'm feeling panicked. I'm feeling nervous. And it wasn't until the 78th minute, so you're talking about 12 minutes plus stoppage time left in the game, 12 minutes left is when, you know, DeVry commits the penalty, Inter ties it up. Then I think between that goal and the game-winning goal, Lulic gets sent off to put Inter up 11 to 10 men. And then, you know, and then you have the Matias Vecino header, heard around the world and so I go guys from the range of emotions of being at peace before the game started to being an absolute train wreck of emotions heart rate is is spiking <laughs> I'm, I'm sweating I'm, I've got goosebumps all throughout the game to Matias Vecino scores that header and I'm I'm like running laps around my living room I like I, I take my shirt off and I'm like throwing it across the room at the tv <laughs> Like my, my range of emotions in that game, I think it's it, it's everything that that makes it uh, that makes it great to be an Inter supporter because for as much crap as we go through, to have moments like that that are, are not often enough, of course, but when you have moments like that, it makes everything great. And it's still, you know, two two years later, I, I still look at that fondly as one of my favorite games of the last six seven years. So, <clears throat> I think the match against Lazio was the perfect representation of the whole season because once again we lost to Juventus, won against Udinese, lost to Sassuolo 
and you go into the match not expecting anything. <clears throat> Usually, I watch every single match by myself, so I can concentrate on the match. Uh, and uh, the match against Juventus, actually, I watched it with uh, my uncle, and he's also Inter supporter, and he left just as Iguin scored. So after that, I said, fuck that shit. He's my worst enemy when it comes to watching matches with him because we never, we never win with him. Um, I remember watching him. The only match that I watched after that with him was the match against PSV when we didn't win and didn't go through in the Champions League. So definitely not watching a game anytime soon with him. But my point was that as soon as the match started or before the match started, I remember, I think I have all the pictures still here in my draw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember this. I sent yeah. in the group chat. I printed out like 10 pictures of every single god that I can Google uh, and download every single picture, print it out, and put it just behind my TV. So I was like, either we win this match with my fucking luck, so I had to take everything in my hands. So I was like, God, fuck me. We have to win this match. It's like, it's no point in going backwards because <clears throat> I've been suffering as an Inter fan. The last time we, that we played in the Champions League, I was in eighth grade of, of uh, primary or middle school, however you call it. And it, we had, I was 14 and at 22, almost 22. I was like, I went through high school. Every single week, people fucking bullied me just because of Inter. I mean, didn't bully, but you know, <laughs> fucked around with me. Because I was the only Inter fan in primary school and in high school. So I was like, God, please let us win. And I, <laughs> I remember printing out every single picture and I have still holes in my wall. Because I put every single picture of every single God behind the TV. And as soon as the match started, of course, it had to be a fucking Balkan man that scored against us. It had to be Marusic scoring off Perisic's head. It's like, it could not be any worse. It would have been worse if Pandev actually scored. That's, that's the bottom line. <laughs> but as Alex also said, D'Ambrosio, he came in clutch in that match, in the match against uh, Empoli the season after. He is a match, he's a guy that plays in every single big match. I don't consider him that good of a player, but he has been excellent whenever he played, especially in those matches that are of a great importance. Anderson. Philip Anderson, who I don't even uh, understand how he is successful or how he was successful. And I remember there were rumors about Manchester United wanting to buy him and whatnot. He wasn't that good. I, I don't remember him being that good. Or in a two-man uh, front line with Immobile or whoever was it at the time, he wasn't good. Uh, I remember Inzaghi played him as um, a wing-back or... As a winger, we didn't really help him. And I, like, that's the only guy that I, I said, please don't score against Inter because you, I don't consider him that good. So when he scored just before halftime, I was fucking broken. I was like, fuck this shit. I left my room. I went into another room. I was by myself. And I was like, you know, I, I'm not expecting anything. When De Vrij actually committed the penalty... I was like, fuck me, this is, this is Inter. Losing, scoring, losing again, then scoring or having the chance to score after um, a few chances that Icardi missed in the first half. It had to be him. He scored the goal. And what happened with Vecino is, I don't know, part of history. Because I, look, after that match, after Juventus, I was fucking pissed off for an hour and a half. But after Vecino scored and after the match ended against Lazio, I couldn't stop fucking crying for one hour because I was like, finally get to play in the Champions League. Fuck the money, fuck everything. We are playing the Champions League. Something that I haven't experienced in seven, eight years, effectively. I was so happy. I was over the moon. Yeah, I can agree to that. Like, um, I remember crying after that match too. Just like, man, that's the power of football sometimes. Like, you put everything into one team week in week out for years and then you finally get that bit of validation where whether it's a trophy whether it's a big like club goal like that to where you're taking this next step to getting back to where you were like that's a big thing and I remember in that match like 
after we went down, after Felipe Anderson scored, like I was like, yep, yeah, this this kind of feels over, like because I remember that season a lot of times when we would go down when another team would take the lead, like we would never be able to claw back. I think that was one of maybe two or three matches that entire season where we came back and won. But after the penalty, after Accardi scores the penalty, I've just felt like, yes, we're going to win this match. Like the way that everyone perked up, the way that everyone was looking for that final goal, just going guns blazing. I just, I I had a feeling that we were going to win it. And when we got that won that corner, I was like, this is, he's going to score. Like, I, this is one of two times this has ever happened to the point where I was like, look, look at this. This guy is like, somebody's about to score this. And the only other time was also Vecino, and it was against Tottenham in the Champions League. But I was just sitting there. Nothing was on a delay. Like, I was watching a stream, but it wasn't delayed or anything. I didn't see anything on my phone, but I just stood up, and I was like, "He's good. somebody's about to score. And, like, sure enough, like, Vecino scores the header. Like, I throw my shirt off. I'm running around. And that, that's a very that's one of the highest points as an Inter fan in the past, however many years. Like that, there's not been much to beat that. Something close, of course, was that Vecino header in the Champions League. But yeah, that was that was something. Uh, I, I'll leave it at that. And the scenes after the match, everyone running around. If you'd have told me that, like. Brozovic was going to be wearing an armband in two years in a match, and like Accardi wasn't even going to be here. Like, I would have been like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" But such is life, I guess. Well, and and I love the fact, guys, that you know, for that that season, and even the following year against Empoli, and you know, listen, be, be, beating Empoli to get into Champions League doesn't feel as impressive as beating Lazio at the Olimpico. But the last two seasons it's been really nice to end the year on a high note. Like it's been really nice to say that, okay, my lasting memory from May until August when the season resumes or when the next season begins is going to be a feeling of happiness knowing, you know, you needed not, not that I like being in this situation, but going into the final match day, needing to win to get into champions league and accomplishing that and, and to be able to have that memory and, and that positivity carry over until the following year is a really nice feeling. And, you know, listen, I don't know what's going to happen uh, for the rest of 2020, if, if they're going to be able to resume the season and, and finish the season or not. I think that's pretty uncertain at this point. But uh, I, I certainly hope that our lasting memory, you know, until next uh, August is not going to be that Juventus game, uh, you know, the one from 2020, the 2-0 loss. So ho- hopefully, hopefully we have a high note to end things on this year as well. Yeah, I was thinking about that before, like, just sitting around, like, missing football or whatever and thinking, like, man, the last time I watched my club play a football game was probably the ugliest match I've seen in years. And, yeah, holding on to that memory kind of sucks, but I guess it's better than what other clubs could be going through, I guess. I don't know. It fucking sucks. I I can attest to that. Um, so moving on from the match, of course, you, you know, we clinch Champions League. Inter goes from their little, like, Inter is here hashtag <laughs> to, like, or from Inter is coming to, like, Inter is here. It was so cheesy. That was so like, good. I don't know, man. Like, you could, you could have told me anything. Like, they could have posted anything, and I would have been like, this is fucking golden. But moving on from that and looking at, the two seasons that we've now been in Champions League. Um, how do you guys feel about our time back in the Champions League? Of course, like we haven't made it out of a group yet, but we've been handed some tough, some tough hands. So, is there anything? Of course, it's a progress, or it's or it's a process. There's progress in it, but how far do you think we've come since that night in Rome? As a team, I mean, I, I think for me is um, it, it's very clear since Inter was able to exit the financial fair play settlement that we're, we're starting to see the power of Suning. Uh, we're starting to see 
you know, just how well organized they've been in raising revenues, mostly through sponsorships, because, you know, obviously there are limitations not owning your own stadium. You can only bring in so much revenue from the Meazza. Uh, so I, I think we're, we're clearly seeing with some of the, the moves that they've made financially when they, you know, last summer they set two, you know, transfer records in the same summer. First it was with Barella, then it was with Lukaku. You know, they pulled off the Ericsson deal in January. So, um, you know, Suning's not going anywhere. Uh, it, it, it clearly, you see they have the intention and the pockets to bring Inter back into the elite. And, and also part of that was appointing Antonio Conte in the first place. I mean, to be, you know, to bring in a, a serious guy like that and pay him 12 million euros a year. I mean, it, it shows you the financial power that this club has. And, you know, obviously there have, there have been improvements, right? I know that, you know, g- given the fact that, you know, Inter, you know, had, several weeks in, in first place and, and have been competitive with Juventus throughout 2019, 2020, it, it spoiled us a little bit. Um, and, and maybe, you know, a lot of people are kind of disappointed in the fact that Inter's now in third place, you know, we'll see whether or not the season resumes or not. But I, I think if you look at things big picture, uh, you can certainly be happy with the way Conte has improved the overall mentality and the overall results of this squad and, I, I think one of the biggest differences for me, guys, is that you don't have as many of these embarrassing hip hiccups against the mid-table and provincial clubs. Like, you're not, you know, I, I mean, Risto mentioned in, in the 2018 when you had, you know, those five straight 1-1 draws in a row. I mean, th- th- those are the sort of results you used to expect from Inter. You're getting a lot less of those under Conte. You're usually taking care of the lesser teams, even if these games end up being pretty close, you're usually finding a way to win these games. Uh, I, I would like to see Inter perform better in the bigger games, right? You know, two losses to Juventus, a tough loss against Lazio, uh, another tough, you know, group stage in Champions League where they threw a couple of results away. So they, they've not really they, they've not really shown you their killer instinct and the clutch gene in some of the bigger matches. But when it comes to the more winnable matches, and I, I think if you look at part of the reason why Antonio Conte squads uh, over the years have been so successful is they usually take care of the games that they should win. And that, and you compile a lot of points doing that. So um, I think any, I think any Interista has to be pretty satisfied and, and pretty happy with where the club is going because you're, you're start, you're going to start, you know, seeing this team more and more compete with, you know, some of the bigger clubs in the world. Uh, when it comes to, you know, signing players and fighting over some of the same transfers that some of the big clubs are fighting over. Uh, I think that's a really, that's a really positive thing. Uh, you know, you brought up Champions League. Um, I, I, I think anyone should consider, you know, from next year and beyond, uh, if you can't get past the group stage from now on, you consider that a huge failure, right? I mean, we, we can make excuses for the last two years because they were either in the fourth pot or the third pot and you're in groups of death and all that. So you can make excuses for not getting through into into the knockout stages. But I, I, I think from this point forward, anything less than getting to the round of 16 in Champions League should be considered a, a massive failure. And I think that's a good thing because I think they're raising the expectations we have for this club. They're raising sort of the benchmark of where the results should be on the pitch. And and this is a great time. I don't know if we'll ever get back to, you know, the, the sort of heights that we had uh, under you know Mourinho, I don't know if we'll ever get there again, but it, at least we can see Inter return to the elite in the world, and I think we're well we're well on our way in that direction. I completely agree with Alex to be quite honest, because <clears throat> what you Alex mentioned was very important in the sense that after Moratti, we needed someone to take care of the club, which was neglected for a decade effectively, <clears throat> and those mistakes that were piled up throughout the ten years, uh, from maybe I don't know two thousand and five, two thousand and six, when. We were spending, or Moratti was spending a lot of money, but we weren't bringing anything for that back. Uh, you're just winning the Serie A. You were loaning money, but you're not actually <laughs> paying up those debts. And effectively, that's what Moratti, or that's what uh, destroyed Moratti and Moratti's legacy at Inter uh, at, at, the, at the back end of, of his tenure at Inter. But what Suning did is very important is that as soon as they, they, okay, they realize that they cannot invest a lot of money at the beginning because of the fin- financial fair play. But what they did is that, you remember all, the, all of those small financial deals, the, all of those uh, small sponsorships that are like six, seven million per season. Um, they were like, they're going on constantly for like months upon months. 
So imagine if you have like three months, that's like 12 weeks times six millions or seven millions, that's like a hundred million effectively. And that's what's going to um, contribute to, contribute towards your um, rising up the, up the tiers as a club. Because in 2020, you have to have money in order to be successful. Those that have success but uh, don't have money are very rare cases and are not very sustainable over a long period of time. What um, basically I would consider the start of um, Sunic's tenure at Inter was the signing of Conte because after that we actually showed the ambition with signing Barella, with, uh, with offloading Raja, showing that or and both and um, both Raja, Perisic and uh, Icardi, who were crucial in, for Inter in the past season, but in the season prior, the season where we spoke uh, with Lazio, with Juventus and whatnot. So I think that they have the money to invest and they will not allow any single player at the end of the day to be uh, bigger than the club or more important than the club. Or than the club. And uh, signing Conte, signing Barella, Lukaku, uh, keeping Lautaro, I think that's all... Um, all the right moves are being made or were made in the summer. But the only thing that I'm disappointed in is that Conte didn't uh, actually perform or, or Inter as a club didn't perform uh, with, against the bigger clubs. I think that that's something that Spalletti did amazingly. He was so terrible against the smaller clubs. But when it, come to, when it comes to Juventus, when it comes to Napoli, Milan, Roma, he was either drawing and we were um, deserving the, um, to win the match. But either we won or we drew. Nowadays, we, against Juventus, we always are on the back front. It was always, we were always sitting back, waiting for them to score a goal. And when they do, we have no one to take the ball off the field and score a goal. So that's my only uh, concern when it comes to Conte, because Conte is, I think, the second most, uh, the, high, the, high, the second highest paid manager in the world after Simone, if I'm not mistaken. So this shows you the ambition of Sony, that they're not here just to take money and run away like Milan's owners, but they're here to stay and to prove their ambition. But also, I wanted to say something about when it comes to like uh, the money and whatnot. Uh, do you think that we have a real chance of signing with Adidas? And do you think that Pirelli will stay uh, Inter's main sponsor? Well, now that we've had our um, finance class from Hristo, um, I totally agree with everything that has been said. Yeah, like it was it was a very thorough. Um, thank you for that, Hristo. Um, but what I can kind of take from both Alex talking more on the field expectations and um, results and then Hristo talking about the more back room, you know, corporate side of things is that what's been happening at Inter is – in this process, um, you, we're going to put, like, the <laughs> Kia transfers away, you know, like Gian Mario and Gabigol. We're going to put those to the side, and we're going to talk about since this season that we've been discussing today. Um, what Suning seems to me to have been doing uh, is raising the, um, the floor. While the ceiling, you know, it's still high, and it, but it's still sitting in the same place. So now – Suning is currently raising that floor so, you know, we're not dropping as far. Things aren't as volatile. And then once you get that floor risen up, you can, like, start raising your ceiling and increasing your expectations and starting to, you know, become one of these European elites again. And I think that while it's probably the slowest and most methodical way of going about it and it's not the most flashy, which for some – into these D we see as being, you know, Sunning not doing enough or the club not doing enough, not, no one caring about the club enough to really it's all this stuff that has to be done that is the most caring about the club before you can go out and do the flashy transfers and the title chases and the silverware is that you really need a stable floor to achieve your high ceiling and i think that they're doing a great job of that and i really respect what they're doing 
and as long as it keeps progressing visibly, that I think we have nothing to complain about. Yeah, it may suck not to be winning the league yet. Like, I mean, we're in third place, which is still progress, and it isn't quite what we may have expected. It's still progress, and I think everything that's been happening is validation of the project that Sinning has been putting together. Yeah, and I, I want to tackle what uh, Risto was asking about, you know, Nike, Adidas, and, and Pirelli. Uh, selfishly, I would love to see Inter switch uh, to Adidas from Nike because I, I just think Adidas does a better job designing shirts, and I think they can be a little bit more creative without being, you know, quite as, uh, as off the wall of what Nike's been doing. But uh, at the end of the day, if when, when that Nike deal runs up, if Inter can create a bidding war, I, I don't care really if it ends up being – adidas nike or, or puma or whoever as long as they're getting top dollar for the shirt deal as long as they're making more than they're making right now which is you know i don't have the number in front of me but i know it's pretty low compared to what many of the big clubs are making for their apparel deals as far as pirelli goes i would like to see them out the door because it's very obvious they're cheap and i know that you know their their owner has some partial stake in inter he's probably been feeling like he can he can get a discount for a very long time I, I don't see Pirelli close to wanting to pay up anytime soon. So if you need to go after, I know that there have been rumors about Samsung in the past and maybe a couple of Chinese companies. Uh, I just don't think Pirelli is going to be willing or able to pay what some of these other companies are willing to pay. So I, I hope that as soon as that deal runs out, they can find a new you know main sponsor because I don't think Pirelli is getting the job done. What do you guys think? Um, I totally agree. Um I'm a little more kind of cautious about moving to Adidas. Like I like a lot of what Adidas does. And I guess what I'm unsure of is putting, you know, their three stripes that they're going to put on your shoulders is matching those three stripes with enters black and blue stripes. Um, It can't be any worse than what Nike has been doing these past few years. Like I remember the season that we're talking about when we got champions league, like it was like that barcode sort of pattern. And I remember when they released that, I stared at that trying to understand it until my head hurt. <laughs> and like, it was, did you, did you scan the barcode? I never, I never did. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, ne- I never scanned it. I'm sure it would have, would have come up to like overpriced or something, but yeah, I hated that one. Last year, I felt like they redeemed themselves a bit. I didn't really care for the gradient, but I thought the font and the like more pure, more traditional black and blue were really nice. And then this year, it just hurt my head again with the <laughs> diagonal in the middle across the Pirelli. So, yeah, I feel like Nike's kind of, you know, that's two of their three strikes. Um, if you want to count maybe the Sprite kit from 2015, 16, maybe that's their three strikes. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> don't, Adidas. Don't try to say it's a bad shirt when you have it in your locker, bro. Come on. I do have it. I do have it. I'm looking at it right as I say this. And I will wear it. I will be buried in that thing. But it's still like not in traditional intricate. And if we want a more stylish, more chic, enter i feel like either nike has to pony up or we do go to adidas because i've seen some nice renderings of like adidas things but you know the things that guys make on twitter are always nicer than what anyone ever puts out so i think adidas would be great especially if they pony up and give us you know what some of these other clubs what a juve what a Liverpool or any of these guys are getting. Um, I want to be somewhere around there because if we have those same expectations, we need that same kind of funding and we need to market ourselves with being enter. They need to market themselves as a club just as big and get that kind of income. Um, with Pirelli, yeah, they're definitely cheap. They'd rather be like on the left field fence of um, – Dodger Stadium than pay up for Enter, so like they can have that. Um, the Samsung renderings have been really chic. Um, Suning, I'm sure, could always sponsor. Uh, I'm not sure how murky that gets with like ownership sponsorship deals because we've seen what 
um, happened with Manchester City and also PSG, where their owners used sponsorships as a way to, you know, fluff their books. And that's gotten Manchester City booted out of UEFA competition. But there's definitely a market for shirt sponsorships. And there is someone that will give us more than Pirelli if they want to keep dragging their feet. Um, what do you think, Chris? The card that Pirelli are playing at is the <clears throat> nostalgia. <clears throat> nostalgia and um, as as Alex pointed out, like Pirelli have been playing with Inter's card throughout the, I don't know, to, throughout the last 10 to 15 years because they always play it on the card that, oh, we have stakes at Inter, we care about the club, it's about the tradition, we are Moratti's friends, blah, blah, blah. And they have never paid as, as much as Inter uh, wanted or as much as Inter deserved because even after we won the Champions League, you you remember all the sums throughout the years that it, we weren't even close to the top, even top 30, I think. So it's really a shame when it comes to that. But I don't I don't care who it is. Uh, it can be Macron as far as I'm concerned. As soon as, uh, if they're paying enough, I don't, I'm not someone that cares about the brand as long as the club is being respected in that sense. Because... I mean, the, the murky stuff. We've seen the example with Sassuolo, who gets all his sponsoring and all his players through um, their kid sponsor, Mape, and the stadium and whatnot. And the guy that owns Mape is the owner of Sassuolo. So I don't know how they're not getting fined. I think it's because they're not in the Champions League or the Europa League. But still, like, we saw the example of um, murky deals throughout the years. And there's a way around it because... I think uh, it doesn't Ali Baba or AliExpress has the guy, what's his name? Jack, uh, Jack, yeah. He has some stakes in Inter or he has some partnership with Inter. So I think that if they want to find a way with our company, they can. Uh, I've, see, I've seen the designs that Adidas makes or at least the quality of the shirt because a friend of mine supports Juventus and uh, he has a lot of shirts when it comes to Juventus throughout the last years. Uh, past few years to be uh, quite uh, exact and the quality of the shirt is so much better than the Nike Nike is like wearing a cloth from a table it's like nothing compared to Adidas but some months ago I saw on Twitter uh, one of the Nike's representatives in, in Europe the main one I don't remember her name but she posted a picture an article and she actually confirmed in a tweet that for the next season for the upcoming season 2020 2021 uh, is that they have signed uh, some some sort of a new deal when it comes to manufacturing shirts, and uh, they have an, uh, new renders, and every single club will have its own render. So, what we have seen in the for the um, uh, for the national teams uh, especially is that every single national team that is sponsored by Nike has the same shirt, just different colors. And from this year onwards is that they are following a new trend, as they say, and they are having uh, like 100, 200 concepts that will be in place. And for Inter, we have, Inter will have uh, a shirt that is not similar, not even 1% similar to the rest, of, um, the rest of the Nike brands when it comes to football. And looking at the table now, it's only Inter and Roma that are sponsored by Nike in, in Serie A. And Adidas only owns... Juventus. So three clubs in out of the twenty are owned by Adidas and Nike. Nothing else. So it's really embarrassing, and we need to step up when it comes to that if we want to be a perceived as a serious club throughout the uh, Champions League and throughout the continent of Europe. Yeah, you mentioned that you don't care who does it; that Macron could do it. But if I have my say, I'm a little bit of a kit nerd, and <laughs> the brand that I love the most that makes, I mean, they're pretty small these days but the brand that makes the nicest kits to me consistently is umbro and mm-hmm. i've said it before jokingly that like we should get on umbro but yeah i think <laughs> it's adidas or nike or like we, we used to have umbro way back in the day like i, I think uh, i think in my my closet yeah the 90s i, I have, have a i have one yeah. of those i have one of those. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've got one from like, like the... 1994, 95, maybe an Umbro kit. 
was the quality better than the the newer ones? Because I've never owned uh, an older shirt. I don't know. I I had I had like knockoffs. Like I had the ones where like when when you go to like Milano and they have the ones like in the carts on the street. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if the ones that I had were actually made by Umbro, but it still had the logo on there. So I just remember it. I, I don't think I have like a high quality one. I had the ones that were probably literally made off of someone's nonna's tablecloth. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the one that I have, it's like, it's actually Umbro, but you know, it's like a fan version from the 90s. So like, the Pirelli isn't like crimped on, you know, like they kind of look like in the actual shirts. Mm -hmm. It's like screen printed Pirelli. But like, I mean, the Umbro is legit, the crest is legit, but it straight up feels like a curtain. Like, I rarely (laughs) wear it. Why is it so? Is, Is it thicker than the normal shirts nowadays? It's I think thicker so. and it's a little bit rougher. Okay. Like it's not the soft, breathable fabric that like we have today. And like I don't know how like Ronaldo was running around in these shirts like the way that he did because like I would be chafed all over my <laughs> body. Yeah, I think that's about it for us. Um, um, earlier this week I was on Alex's podcast, the um, Calcio Connection, and um. Since he's our guest, I'll let him plug maybe a couple of things that he'd like you guys to hear, read, you know, keep some entertainment going during this quarantine time. Alex? Um, oh, thank you so much. You yeah, and I, hope, uh, and I hope we can get Risto on soon as well. Uh, yeah, uh, Jerry Mancini and I, I'm sure anybody who's on Calcio Twitter has seen his, like, Nutella rants and all that. <laughs> you, you probably know who that guy is. Uh, yeah, we, we host the Calcio Connection show. Yeah, normally we were putting out an episode a week, but since I, I, I don't have shit else going on these days, we've been putting out two episodes a week now recently, so we've stepped it up a little bit just to give people some more content. Uh, Cultural Connection, you can find it on iTunes. We're on Spotify now, and you can also follow me on Twitter, Alex Dono. Uh, Dono spelled D-O-N-N-O. And yeah, Mikey did a great job last time out. I hope to have both of you guys on the show again in the future. Yeah, man, it was a good time. Um, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, it's been a good talk. Um, thanks, Risto, as always, for being on. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you guys in the next one.